Well, I remember the moment very well. I was walking in downtown Nacogdoches, which is the oldest city in Texas, so therefore the oldest downtown, and uh, also the most difficult name in Texas uh, for a city, uh, difficult in terms of spelling. Uh, But I was walking down the street and passed by a building that I had, had really not noticed before. And it had a sign out front with a name that indicated it was some, some type of social service. And I don't even remember what the name is now. And I guess that really doesn't matter. But it was about helping people in need. And I could tell based on what was going on and who was coming in and out of the building that it was truly doing that. At that time, I was a member of a political club out walking the neighborhoods, trying to uh, beat the bushes, knock on doors, and do voter registration, something that was of great interest to me, and I think I also got credit for it as a political science student and uh, certainly was very interested in it, wanting to go into a life of politics, which I did, by the way, uh, becoming a Baptist pastor. A different kind of politics. Uh, At this time of my life, I was also beginning to struggle with God about the direction in my life. I was really wrestling with this. I, I could tell that God was doing something, and I wasn't exactly sure what all was about to happen. But what you should also know is that I experienced a call to ministry when I was 13 years old. I remember being um, in South Texas, just uh, outside of Kerrville, Texas, at a camp called Mo Ranch, and our youth group was there, and it was just just a, a fun time, but also a deeply spiritual time for me. And I remember having this sense of call about uh, what I guess at that time we call uh, surrendering to vocational ministry. And uh, it sounds about as difficult as it was, surrendering to God's call. But I didn't really know what to do with that call in my teen years and even through my college years. I really put it on the back burner, and my interest in law and politics had become my passion in those years. That's what I wanted to do with my life. And those things had really gotten placed on the front burner of my life. A change in priorities was coming, though, as I looked at that sign. I just remember having this, if I've ever had an epiphanal moment, that was it, where I really felt like God was speaking to me through that sign. And it was one of those moments when I could feel a dramatic shift, this shift in heat as God started moving things around. I guess I was hungry when I was writing this sermon. Uh, Moving things around on the stove of my life. Things that were on the back burner were getting moved to the front burner and God was doing something. The rapid boil of law and politics would change to a simmer while the stagnant surface of my call to ministry would increase, and it would increase with the intensity of a rapid boil. God had put heat where God wanted there to be heat. 
And in that moment, while looking at that sign, God stirred in me a passion for compassion, giving me a vision of serving people in need and sharing the love of Jesus with people rather than sharing my political dogma with the world around me. And certainly being a witness of what I knew about Jesus and the the kingdom that He entered into the world to expand. God reminded me of that call to be a part of that kingdom. I still wasn't quite sure how to be that witness. But one thing I knew, God had called me to be one. That was plain and simple. Excited but unsure. I imagine that's how the disciples must have felt as they heard Jesus call them to be witnesses for Him in their world. You are to be witnesses of these things that you have seen and heard. They too had been called to ministry by Jesus. If you remember, some of them were fisher, uh, fishermen. There were some who were tax collectors. There were some who were involved in just common trades of the day. And Jesus called them away from those things to come and to follow Him. And so they had walked with Him for several years. They had witnessed His actions of His love and His concern for liberating the world from sin and from injustice. And most recently, they had seen Him in death. This passage of Scripture we've just heard from Luke sounds a whole lot like the one we heard from John last week. Remember Thomas? Maybe you thought about Thomas this week and you thought... Yeah, I am a lot like Thomas. I really want to see the evidence. I want to see the proof. Here, Jesus is described by Luke as doing the same thing. He is appearing to the disciples. In fact, He is meeting with them. And so now they were seeing Him alive, standing in their midst and joining them for a meal. This broiled fish meal. And so Jesus broke bread with them and ate with them. Jesus wanted them to see that He was real, that He was not a ghost. He was in flesh, just like they had seen Him before. And they could experience this reality. And and that was certainly important for them in order to understand what was next for them as His followers. So Jesus reviews for them how the recent events of His death and His resurrection happened just as it had been written. And I love the way Luke describes it. He opened their minds. Have you ever needed your mind to be opened? For God to turn the lights on inside of you to say, look, there is more to life, there is more uh, going on around you than you have been understanding. And I want to help you understand it. I'm going to work in your life in such a way that your mind is open. And that's what happened with them. They were now to be witnesses of all of this in Jerusalem and to all nations all ethnic groups, all peoples, all over the world. This is a message for them. You are to go to them, Jesus says. And I'm sure they were on the edge of their seats, just like they were every time before when Jesus spoke and taught. Just hearing Jesus' voice or hearing Him begin to instruct and to teach 
about something that they had heard all of their lives but never heard in the way Jesus would teach it. It drew them in. And he usually would make his point by telling stories, right? You know, these parables that we find in the Gospels, Jesus would often teach in this way. Or he would take a seed, or he would refer to a bird as an illustration. This time, Jesus moved quickly to the point of application. There was no mystery in what Jesus was saying. It was really for everyone to be able to hear. It was a very pointed time of teaching. And they were uh, to hear this in a very definite kind of way. They were to get beyond the four walls of that room that they were in. And they were to get out into the streets of Jerusalem. What a challenge that this would be for them as they feared for their own lives. I mean, that's why they're hiding in a room. That's why they have locked the doors. As the brutality of Jesus' death was still on their minds. What would you have done? Where would you have gone had you been a follower of Jesus back then? I certainly would have been among those running and hiding, fearing for my life. Go out there. Jesus, don't you mean stay in here until things die down? I mean, this is the best place for us to be. They're going to come get us just like they came and got you. Get out of here and go out where it will be safer to be a witness. That's what we would rather do. We'd rather get out of town and go where people really won't know us and we could share your love eventually with them and tell them the story of what has happened. I mean, wouldn't you and I have said something like that? Trying to reason with Jesus after realizing the tremendous cost of following after Jesus? There was something on the news this past week, I think it was in uh, Iraq or Syria, where people were pulled off a bus and asked whether they were Christians or Muslims. I believe 13 of them said were Christians, and they were killed right there on the spot. This was what was going through the minds of those disciples, thinking, if I say I'm following Him that I'm going to die. Jesus, let me reason with you about a better way. The Roman officials officials in Jerusalem, as well as the high priest, would surely stamp out any testimonies about seeing Jesus. There was already talk of His body missing from the tomb, and they're trying to find out how they can stop this because they, the last thing they want is a martyr on their hands. And they want to be able to say, He is dead, He's buried, and that's the end of it. And so they really feared what could happen to them. But I also think they feared what would happen if they went to share the gospel with people who were not like them, as Jesus told them to do. Jesus didn't deny that there would be opposition for them as witnesses. He just said, go. And as Matthew reports, go and make disciples. Just get after it. Take off and do this thing. And that's where we find ourselves today as followers of Jesus. Right there with the same call that He gave to them. And what does that look like for us? What does it mean 
to be a witness. Just how is it that we are to be witnesses right here in our own Jerusalem, right here in Shreveport, in Shreveport Bossier, and right here in the Highland neighborhood, right there at work or uh, in your school? How is it that you can be a witness for Jesus? Well, that's something I've asked myself for all of my Christian years, which encompasses basically all of my life. I have heard the term witness more times than I can count. I have taken evangelism training classes. I have served as a counselor at a Billy Graham crusade. I have gone door to door in neighborhoods. I have been on mission trips. I have passed out evangelistic tracts in parks to people who were terrified (laughs) as I came after them with a pamphlet. I have preached as a witness for the last 20-something years, sharing the good news of Christ from the pulpit. And I guess the reason I continue to ask this question is that I'm not sure if I am being a very good one. I'm not sure that I am a good witness. In all of those activities, I wonder if I'm actually bearing witness to a risen Savior. In my words and in my efforts, are people really getting the good news of Jesus? Or are they just hearing about my church, about my doctrine, about my particular religion? What is it that they are hearing and what is it that I am doing? As followers of Jesus, we all have testimonies of how we have turned and really how we continue to need to turn from our sin and our sinful ways. And we've discovered the forgiveness of our own sins by God. And thankfully, someone was a witness of these things to us somewhere along the way. The fact that you are here today is because someone was a witness in your life. It may have been a parent, a Sunday school teacher, a VBS worker, a friend at school, or a preacher. But God has used someone as a witness in your life. And so now God has called you to be a witness for someone else. There's someone that should be sitting next to you in church today. There's someone who ought to be filling uh, the pew where you are sitting. Someone who needs to hear this great and wonderful news about Jesus Christ. Who is that someone? Who is it that God has placed around you that needs to hear? Well, what I have discovered thus far is that our words are great, but they aren't everything. We need a plan of action, don't we? Our lives need to be determined by actions, and I've learned that it is best to keep things simple when it comes to being a witness. Simple means practical. And I like how Jesus' brother, James, understood the need for practicality and how he puts it in his writing. Listen to these words from Jesus' own brother. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but you do not have works? Can faith save you? 
If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith, by itself, if it has no works, is dead. comes from the pen or the mouth of Jesus' own brother. I think he understood the significance of actions. Being a witness means that we find practical expressions in our own culture and time for the good news of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. By the way, this was Jesus' message, wasn't it? It was John the Baptist's message, and Jesus began to preach it. And He began to share this message all around His world. And it is a message Jesus gives to us as well. And there are ample opportunities that we have around us now to call for repentance. Repentance when we see poverty, discrimination, there is a, a bill that has been introduced uh, here in Louisiana that uh, is labeled as religious liberty, but in the end, it's just more discrimination. You'll hear more about it in the coming days. Violence, human trafficking, racism, greed, and indifference. These are things that have all been in the news this past week. And there'll be things in the news next week as well. I'm thinking our most effective witness here involves using our experiences, using our gifts. Every one of you has a gift or two. Resources to make a difference in these areas. All of us have these particular uh, items that we could just put together in a pot and say, these are our assets. These are things that we can do in the community. We may not have many in number. We may not have a huge budget. But God has given us enough to make a huge difference right here in our community. And for us... That can be our witness to the world. We do this witnessing with our words, but we must also do it with our actions. And our best witness will be when we are doing both together. When our family, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors get a consistent message from us. If, for instance, we say that we believe in resurrection... And all of you believe that because every time I say He is risen, you say, He is risen indeed. Then we ought to live as though we do believe it rather than living like there is no tomorrow. If we say we love our neighbor, it should be visible in how we treat her or him or them. If we claim God's forgiveness in our own lives and yet have not forgiven a brother or a sister... Are we really bearing witness to God's grace? And if you can't forgive yourself, what does that mean? What kind of a witness is that? If we say that the good news of Jesus is for all people, but our actions and our policies make qualifications about who it is not for, then what kind of a witness for all peoples have we become? 
If we proclaim the need for repentance in our world today, then we, you and I, must be the greatest examples of what that looks like. If we invite other people to follow Jesus, we must do so as those who are already in His footsteps. If you want to invite people to follow Jesus, then they should be able to just jump right in behind you to where you're going with Him. The quote in your bulletin today from Shakespeare's Henry VI illustrates this whole idea of being a witness. Make bonfires and feast and banquet in the open streets to celebrate the joy that God hath given us. Make bonfires. That's what a witness does. I saw one in the open streets of Nacogdoches, Texas. You've seen one somewhere, somewhere along the way as well. Now it's time to start some of our own. You are witnesses of these things. Let us pray.